Hi everybody, I'm Josh Constein from TechCrunch. We're going to be seeing a lot of great demos today, and I want you guys to think about, as you see the demos, what questions you have. You know, are there things around monetization, virality, uh, the team that you think uh, are important for the company to succeed and for you to be considering if you want to possibly invest, partner, or help work with them? So yeah, keep those questions in mind, and we'll have a few minutes for Q&A after each session. First we have SwitchCam. Hi everyone. I'm Brett Welch, I'm the CEO of uh, SwitchCam. Now, how many people have actually been to a concert in the last kind of year or so? So pretty much everybody. It's good, given it's a music conference, you'd expect that. Um, and how many of you notice people with recording video or took video themselves? So some of you, okay, so you're probably one of millions of people who actually go and see these videos and, and watch them on YouTube as well afterwards. But the thing is that, whoops. The thing is that uh, the experience on YouTube sucks if you want to actually watch videos of these events. You search for like John Mayer at the Hollywood Bowl 2010 and you get this list of videos and there's absolutely no context around these videos and how they relate with each other. And yet millions of people are actually watching these kinds of videos every day. So what SwitchCam does is we algorithmically reconstruct all of these concerts from footage recorded by people who are actually there. So we've got over 500 concert, uh, concerts already on SwitchCam. And uh, here's an example of one, which is uh, that exact same John Mayer event that I showed you before. On the left, we've got a list of tracks. So it's organized by, uh, by the set list. And then you can jump in and start watching. And then as the uh, show progresses, we'll actually load up synchronized footage. And so down the bottom, these are all different camera angles, all in the same venue. And you can instantly switch between the different camera angles. And the audio is synced, remains synced the entire time. So you can switch down, see your favorite tracks, like the cover of Don't Stop Believing. You'll notice that as that one started, it jumped right into the middle of this video. So we've created a layer of data over the top of these videos so you can actually watch the concert and experience it. Now we see 25 minutes is our average time on site, which is 10 minutes higher than YouTube. So the engagement is really, really deep. And it's, if you don't like John Mayer, you can browse uh, one of the 500 concerts we've already got, or you can add a new concert. So let's say you wanted to see Lady Gaga in San Francisco. We could find you some events, and then we would go and automatically create that for you and email you a link when it's done. So that's SwitchCam. We're already seeing artists sending these pages to promoters to book themselves, and fans love the experience because it's a lot more engaging than your traditional YouTube. And we're adding a lot of, a lot of uh, context around the video so you can really enjoy, uh, enjoy the experience. And we're not just stopping at concerts. Uh, concerts are just the first stop. We're also going to move into sporting events, current affairs, and other events where people are recording on their cameras and their smartphones. So that's SwitchCam, and um, any questions, I'd love to hear them. So, all the, uh, so the question was, is this a bootleg? Um, now, we, we host all of our videos on YouTube, so YouTube manages the rights for all of, those, uh, for all of the content, and um, they're doing a better and better job of that every day. Um, I was wondering, how famous do you have to be to have your event be processed through your service? Like, could I just have my friends who have taken footage at a show that I've done? Absolutely. It, does, so it doesn't have to, I don't have to be like Lady Gaga status. To... Um, in fact, we work with several sort of small artists, and, and we, we run promotional campaigns with them. So we say to the fans, hey, record the video the artist wants you to record, upload it to YouTube afterwards, and then we'll actually create the SwitchCam event for them. And that then gives you um, the ability to use that as a promotional tool as well. Cool. So and it's then it's open to everyone. And it's a free service? It's free, yeah. Okay, cool. if, you, if, you, if you actually want to do this yourself, then come and find me and we can set you up. Sweet. Thanks. Cool. Um, 
So users are often uploading their videos straight to things like Facebook, Path, Twitter, right from the concert itself. Yeah. Uh, what's your plan for helping make sure that they don't have to go through a second upload experience later to be able to get your their videos into Swishcam? So they actually don't have to upload it to any other service than they already upload it. So we, we take the videos from the existing services. Right now it's just YouTube, but we can also do Facebook, Vimeo, any other video service. So the, we're not relying on any particular metadata, any geotagging, anything like that for the, for the geek speak out there. But, uh, but that's, so that's, it's using existing content that's already online. Would you guys consider releasing a mobile app that allow them to take the photos Absolutely. or take the videos and then upload them directly? Absolutely, there's a lot of video apps out there. Um, and so you know, you know, it's the, the value in doing that is limited unless you know, you've got a really awesome viewing experience like Switchcam. We already get uh, people inbound asking us for uh, easier ways to add footage to Switchcam events. So it's something we're considering for sure. Other questions? Um, yeah, you were talking about how you sync the, the video to the audio. How do you use a master audio? Do you pick the best one from a video? Or do you record the concerts live? Or how do you do that? So that's part of the magic. Um, we actually don't need an, a master track to create an event. Uh, there's a lot of statistics and sort of math geeky stuff involved. But um, you know, with especially with an event like a John Mayer or Coldplay, where there are two, you know, hundreds of videos, um, you actually don't need a master track because there's enough component footage to to piece it together. Um, but you can use a, a, a soundboard recording, and that makes life easier. But uh, but you don't need it. Have you guys been doing any uh, partnerships or anything to help uh, artists expose the Switchcam experience for their concerts, like helping them embed it in their in the, like a Facebook page or on their website, anything like that? Yeah, we're working on that sort of thing right now. Uh, we're already seeing large artists like Pitbull who are interested in embedding this on their sites, uh, artists like Katy Perry. Um, but um, that's, that's also open to small artists as well who are just up and coming and who want to embed Switchcam on their site. So that's, that's a sort of a beta feature that we're coming out with soon. Could you talk a little bit more about your monetization plan? So if you look at Vivo, um, they've got 150 million revenue after two years. I mean, sure, they have deep ties in the music industry. But what it shows is there's an appetite for brands to reach the fans of, of musicians, as always. And uh, what we plan to do is help artists monetize their tours, just like they sell sponsorships against their physical tours, to also sell that virtually uh, on Switchcam. So would that be an overlay over the video or a pre-roll? Well, you know, we're not quite sure exactly how it would uh, embody itself in terms of advertising. I think, you know, if you look at the VO model again, it's more of a page takeover, so it doesn't really get in the way of the viewing experience. Um, so we'd have a preference towards doing that kind of thing where you actually sponsor the pages themselves um, with one particular advertiser. And are you doing anything to help the artists uh, with retention afterwards? Like if somebody watches their video on Switchcam, you know, are you helping sure. them gain more Facebook fans or Twitter followers or something like that? Yep. So if you have a look at um, the Let's have a look at this one. So there's a, oh, there's, okay, it's gone all funky because it's laid out funny. But um, there's a subscription option. So you can subscribe to, uh, to any artist on Switchcam. And then when new gigs get uploaded or new gigs get added to the site, we then email those people who, who follow that guy. But that's really re-engagement for you guys. What about for the artists themselves outside of Switchcam? So do you mean as in enabling people to like their pages on Facebook and that kind of thing? Yeah, like the sure. pages, Twitter followers. That's actually coming soon. So it's one of the things we've been asked for a lot is can we, you know, can people click like on this page and like my Facebook page? So that's something we're going to be adding. Like, So artists can um, basically claim this artist page, which is a timeline of all of their gigs that we've got on Switchcam. And so you can subscribe here, but you could also... Uh, 
you know, potentially have like buttons for Facebook and Twitter and whatnot. Okay, great. Well, thanks very much for SwitchCam. Okay, thanks. Um, honestly, I think that's one of the cooler music startups I've seen in a while. Uh, watching videos on YouTube of a concert is pretty awful experience. And honestly, as more artists are trying to monetize uh, through, through sort of 360 deals and be really pushing their concert tickets, uh, being able to like go and see what the real experience of seeing someone live is very easily is really important for me knowing if I'm going to go watch a band in concert. So you know, if I was an artist, I would want to promote this because it's like I wouldn't want to send users to YouTube and just watch some random videos or see their music video that seems really processed. I'd want to show them multiple angles of the best, you know, the best experience of my live tour. Uh, great. So now we have Jamit. Hi there. I'm Scott Humphrey, founder of Jamit, and Jamit is the world's first virtual recording studio experience. And uh, I'm just going to just jump right into the demo here, so you can understand a little bit about how it works. And uh, for the example, I'm going to use Deep Purple Smoke on the Water. And this is the guitar version, and I say the guitar version because what we do is we repurpose songs in every possible instrument that happens to be in the song. So here we go, guitar version of Smoke on the Water. So what you're hearing is the original master, as it was recorded. But you're able to isolate just Richie Blackmore's guitar. And we give you the notation which is uh, transcribed, hey, that's not good. You guys touched something and I lost my, maybe it was me. Okay, we're back on. So, uh, interestingly enough, this song, anyone, anyone of the, my old school studio musician friends, every time they hear this, they say, this is like, I've been playing this wrong my entire life. And the reason is, it's really hard to hear what's going on unless you actually, um, unless you're actually uh, hearing the, the track isolated. Um, so moving on here, um, so very easy navigation. You can scroll around like this, go in between sections, or you can go take me to the solo. So in most cases we have two tracks of isolated guitar. Uh, one of the uh, coolest features for learning a difficult part is the looping feature. So we can isolate just that section 16th notes there. We can hit the slow button, which is adjustable by down to 50%. So you can slow it right down without changing the pitch. Or you can play it along with the click track, if that makes it easier. And you can move the loop points, and they snap to the grid automatically. And there's always a click track there, and even though the song wasn't played to a click, we can form a click track and a beat map. And once you have it learned, you can turn it off and you can record yourself directly into the iPad. You can email your performance to your teacher, or if you're a teacher, you can have your students send them to you. And uh, we also show you the tuning, which isn't really that important because this is straight uh, standard e-tuning, but if it was some crazy tuning, this is where you would get that information. Um, and uh, let's just go to one other, give you one other example here. Let's go to maybe a, a drum track. There we go, pull up Rush. So this is the, uh, the drum version of Limelight. So in this case, we have the drum track isolated. 
menu, you can go double click and go full screen. So same thing with the, with the drum version, you can easily loop, so no matter where you, you touch the button as it's playing, you hit the loop button and it automatically will give you a perfect two bar loop as in this, this preset to two bar loop, but, and you can move it to perfect one bar loop. So that's, uh, that's how it works, each, uh, each instrument including the vocals are uh, stripped out and, and this is just really not happening. I got this probably the one flaw I've ever seen in an Apple design is this connector in the bottom of the iPad. So I'll just hold it. So the way the business model works is we, we offer a, a great royalty to the artist, uh, much more than they make on a, a regular deal in some cases. Some artists will make more on one song than they would on their entire record deal. Um, so that works, uh, that works great for the artist, but also the fact that you're able to you know, take one song and repurpose it, in the case of Deep Purple, five different times, bass, drums, keyboards, vocals, um, guitar, or uh, Rush four different times. What else am I missing here? I feel like I'm missing something. Two minutes um, left. Well, okay, in that uh, case. We'll take some Q&A. Yeah. Um, so what's your plan for getting this out to, to artists and to musicians who, you know, who want to use it? Well, so far we've uh, been, um, actually Rush is a good example. They love the application so much they put it on their rush.com page. They put a little banner on there and they mentioned it in Facebook and had about 20,000 people show up and that was around the middle of December. Ever since Rush has actually been our biggest selling artist, but that kind of led to other artists uh, promoting it through their uh, Facebook page or other social media, and we've been uh, been really lucky that way with everything from Rune 5 to Slayer to Soundgarden, and, and we range maybe between five to fifteen thousand hits a day on our site from uh, artists that we partner with. And what's the what's the plan for making money for yourselves and for the artists? Uh, if you could just go a little deeper into that. Yeah, absolutely. The uh, the split uh, off of let's let's use uh, Limelight we have up here in the screen, which is. 399 purchase price, and the, the model is uh, we pay the artist 35% of retail, so uh, 70 cents to the publisher, 70 cents to the master for a total of $1.40 um, for the 399 purchase. But we're also doing, uh, we actually did a first full album with Lamb of God uh, at the end of January, which is a full 14, uh, 14 songs. Do you think that this can compete with YouTube tutorials, which are growing increasingly popular for how to play difficult musician parts? Well, there's really no comparison because you can't really hear what's going on with a YouTube tutorial. Um, and I think the, the smoke in the water example is a good example where when you get uh, different instruments that combine making homogenous sound, it's hard to pick out exactly what's going on. So it really depends on how proficient you want the, you know, you want to learn the part. But also, the idea is too, you can completely remove the instrument, remove the drums, and actually play along without having that interference. Cool. Great. Well, thank you very I, much. I, I'm cool. sorry, could oh, I ask sorry. a question? I'm just sure. wondering how many songs you have available right now and, and how you decide what you're um, uh, processing. 
Yeah, we've got about a thousand Jamit tracks available. When I say Jamit tracks, that would mean a guitar, a bass, drum, you know, vocal version. Uh, some songs we don't make every instrument version available because it just doesn't make sense, you know, depending on the type of song it is. And so the, the software is free, and then you pay for a song, a song by song. Exactly. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Well, I could definitely use this. I teach guitar. I'm doing this all day, trying to listen to those little parts. Nice. So I, I'm, I'm assuming you do the, uh, the transcriptions after you have the, the, um, the parts isolated. Yeah, we transcribe from the great. original isolated tracks. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank awesome. you very much. Cool, thank yeah, you. I think that actually would be a great idea to look into more partnerships with like music schools and music teachers and see if you could set up some sort of like pro account with cheaper purchases per song, but that you could really uh, trade on the, the quantity that you could sell through those people. Right. Great. Great. Thanks. Thank you. So now we'll have Bram Cohen from BitTorrent. Can you hear me? Uh, all right, good. So this demo is, I'm afraid, nowhere near as impressive as the two previous ones. Uh, you get to see me talking at a delay. Over there is, so, so this computer right here is recording me talking. And it, a few seconds delay, everything that I, all my gestures and everything that I do over here show up over there. Uh, the point of this is that that could be that that's on the web, and that could be not just one machine, but millions of machines, all of them showing exactly what I'm doing over here at just a few seconds of delay, with essentially no uh, central infrastructure running the whole thing. All the data is being transferred peer to peer. Uh, this is very uh, so. This is live peer to peer uh, video distribution which is uh, very different from what people immediately uh, think of for some reason, which is playing immediately when you start downloading something, uh, which is uh, something else altogether. This is like television. Uh, and actually, most of the video that people consume today is still not on the internet. Uh, it, it's on television. And a big part of that is because the internet really isn't set up to support big live events. There's no good technology for doing it, except this one right here. <laughs> um, uh, it, this is, there's, uh, the, the reason why this is interesting is that this is a really, really hard problem. There's a couple of things you have to make happen at once. You have to try and make it so you have 99% you know, uh, plus uh, offloads uh, at scale, so hardly anything's coming from the central servers. You want to get the latency down to very little uh, other things other competing uh, technologies that do peer-to-peer -peer live, well, they're not really comparable. Uh, they tend to do like 50% offload. Um, uh, that's 50% of the data coming from the original source, 50% peers, and, and like 90 seconds of delay. And uh, my stuff here that I've been working on for the last couple of years does like five seconds of delay and you know, pretty darn close to 100% offload, just a couple copies coming from the original source, even if you've got millions of peers hitting it. Uh, so it's not some, it wasn't some great genius idea for me to work on this. Obviously, this is a big problem. Everybody knows it's a big, important problem. Uh, it's just really, really hard to do. And in fact, uh, for a long time, I was like, I'm not working on it because I don't have any good ideas at all. Although, in principle, laws of physics and calculations indicate you should be able to get low latency. I did not have a general sketch of an architecture that I thought wasn't uh, truly horrible. 
Um, and a couple years ago, I came up with this idea, which sounds kind of silly, uh, but the idea is that in order to keep latency down, what you do is you speak a screamer protocol uh, to a subset of the peers. Each piece of data that you want to get out there uh, in the stream, there's some fraction of the peers which it goes to in a protocol where the, uh, they just send it to the ones that they're connected to. And that gets you the minimum latency and maximum robustness for getting that data without that out within that subset and you just do something a lot more controlled uh, uh, for the very last hop, which allows you to have uh, real congestion control despite the, and low overhead, despite the rather awful properties of a uh, Screamer protocol applying to a subset of the data distribution. So this is potentially all kinds of uses, uh, uh, sports events, you know, nerd sports events like video game tournaments, uh, Video conferencing, it would be very useful for as well. Uh, news items um, and first run uh, video content as it's being displayed, like you know, big TV shows everyone wants to see just as it's coming out. You could display it <clears throat> live for everyone to watch at once. So this is all kinds of potential uses. Uh, my goal here is to kill off television. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, I think I can take Q&A now. Do you guys have any partners so far that are using it? Uh, we've just been doing like little test deploys uh, so far. We have uh, we have a, a thing coming up at South by Southwest. We're going to do. Uh, I'm going to do an interview on Twit TV on Wednesday. Uh, so far, we're still like in the very very final stages of really polishing it up. So we'll do really massive deploys. Uh, later, uh, but not quite there yet. Uh, there's tons and tons of interest in it, so it's a matter of just getting the technology really super solid at this point. Hi, um, so I work at Talkbox, and what we do is streaming um, through media service, so not, not P2P, which, uh -huh. um, as, as you're well aware of, um, comes with all kinds of trade-offs in terms of performance. Uh -huh. And what we do have down is um, really optimizing for the latency point. Mm -hmm. So since it's about video conversations and having people talk to each other, um, we're really going for the milliseconds as opposed to the seconds. Um, we'd love to be able to use P2P, uh -huh. um, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on what on, on the latency point specifically. Uh, yeah, you guys uh, th there's there's a few different uh, when you talk about real time, there's a few different things that you could mean. Uh, there's what I like to call interactive, which is around a third of a second, uh, round trip time. Uh, and that's what's useful for if you're video conferencing with someone. Uh, it, I, it, I believe that the latency there is actually very undervalued. Cell phones tend to have much, much higher latency than traditional landlines did, which is really, really annoying when you realize that's why everyone's constantly interrupting each other when they're talking to each other <laughs> on their cell phones. Um, uh, so, so yeah, that's around a third of a second. When you get into larger numbers of people on something, like a video conference and stuff like that, it becomes harder to tell that there's high latency because there's a whole lot more people interacting anyway. Uh, but there's a concept of what constitutes live, and I figure that's like, you know, less than 10 seconds is kind of live. I, I can do less than five at a really large scale. Um, it's actually one of the things you learn when you're doing uh, low latency stuff is it's really, really hard because every single hop adds latency, every single hop is a single point of failure. It's just, it's really difficult and it all adds up in a very frustrating way. Um, uh, but it should be possible to make it be reasonably adaptive actually so that when you have 
a, a when you have only a few dozen people on something, it could run at a latency of less than a second. You get into these issues where whenever there's a hiccup, it needs to spend like the better part of a second doing a failover when you're doing peer-to-peer. -peer. And also there's a trade-off between how glitchy the stream is and how low la the latency is. So if you have a nice high buffer, you almost never have a need on a technical level to go over that buffer, and you can have nice, continuous, smooth playback to the user the entire time. If you're aiming for a super aggressively low one, then what will tend to happen is like once every minute or two, you'll have just a, a freeze, just a hardly perceptible freeze, and then you're gonna have to play back just a little bit faster for a little while to catch up. So there's gonna be these glitches. So that's the trade-off you have to decide to make. I arbitrarily set it so that it plays back at 90% speed to catch up if it thinks its buffer is too big right now. That seemed cognitively reasonable when I was messing with it. No big scientific this would, <laughs> this would presumably be a lot cheaper for video publishers and uh, distributors. Uh, oh yeah, uh, live video distribution is pretty much the most expensive thing you can do for distribution online, and the CDNs really hate doing it. It requires special infrastructure and everything. Uh, th there are places like Livestream and Ustream that specialize in it, but they're not I exceedingly cheap or anything. Yeah, I mean, with the, with the Super Bowl being streamed on the web for, legally for the first time this year and, you know, millions of people checking that out, I think there's obviously a huge market for technology that could make that cheaper. Lots of, I'm sure, tons of sporting events, and everyone would love to do that, but really only people like the NFL have the money to be able to support it right now, so. Yeah, yeah, and actually the, the video quality is an issue, too. So th this technology is limited by the upload capacity of everyone, mm -hmm. so it's actually capable of utilizing very heterogeneous upload capacities quite effectively. So if you have a small fraction of your peers having unbelievable upload rates, it'll actually be able to leverage that uh, for a swarm as a whole. Um, but there is this limit that there's the aggregate upload capacity for the swarm as a whole, which is kind of a physical limit. Mm -hmm. And it can handle a stream that's about half that in terms of bit rate, uh, which actually is pretty competitive with what you see on like YouTube and stuff. People are really used to really low quality video in general. Sure, great, thanks a lot. All right, next we have Mark Ruxum with Tastemaker X. Yeah, personally, if I was any type of video producer, I'd be really interested in what BitTorrent's doing because the, the cost of that thing is so prohibitive that you know, there's just whole new types of interactive events. It's not just about broadcasting, but the ability to have so many people be simultaneously in a place where they're watching, but also interacting with app elements through discussion uh, mediums like Twitter. Uh, it could really open up not just you know, the, the translation of television to the internet, but also you know, whole new interactive uh, ways of inter interacting with content. Great, so here's Tastemaker X. So my name is Mark Rux and I'm the CEO and founder of Tastemaker X. Um, this, is a, this is the kind of first time anyone, um, except for maybe 15 people, have ever seen these screens. So, so thanks, for, thanks for being here and paying attention. I, just before I get started, um, how many people here um, play the game in music called I Heard That Band First, or I Knew That Band Was Gonna Be Huge? Should be everybody, but there's, there's a few. It's um, not a real game. <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's, a it real, it's a real game. Oh. Um, <laughs> anyone here play fantasy sports? Because there's 37 million people that play that game. And then lastly, how many people, when they go to shows, tweet, take an Instagram picture, check in on Foursquare, upload pictures to Facebook? Probably anyone that goes to shows, because basically you see the backs of people's heads and people endlessly screwing around with their phones. Um, 
This is a game. Um, it's a game more like Foursquare than it is like anything else, but this is a mobile social game um, around music and what you do with music. So um, I'm going to take you through a demo. It's kind of long and deep, but if you, um, if you kind of hang in there with me, uh, I think it'll, it'll all come together. So what will happen starting May, uh, March 5th at South by Southwest, you'll be able to download the Tastemaker X app. We'll ask you a bunch of questions. We'll scrabble your hard drive. Um, we'll ask you to tick a couple genres, and in a sense, we'll get to know what you like. Um, uh, from there, you'll jump into the game, or you can start by just exploring the game itself. So what we'll do is take you to a charting page. So this is real-time trending. This is a virtual kind of stock market for bands. You'll be able to scroll up and down and see what's trending. So if you click on Film School, who's a local band, you'll be able to check out who the band is. So we'll pull up a picture. You'll be able to see a bio. You'll be able to um, dial into any of their social feeds. And then there'll be a scrolling ticker of like artists. Um, you'll be able to put the band on a watch list, trade the band. I'm not going to take you through the trading uh, component right now. See the activity of the band. So this would be the price history for the band. And this is based on real-time buying and selling of bands. So everyone that downloads the app gets 25,000 notes. Notes are the currency in the game. And then you can effectively build a portfolio of bands that you love um, with a cost basis that will denote the time and date. So everyone, uh, everyone knew Adele was going to be a big star, but that's not true um, because no one bought the record for a long time. Uh, same, would, same would be said for Lana Del Rey or Fleet Foxes, whomever else it is. You'll then see the top shareholder. Um, or the top shareholders, you'll be able to see the top influencers. So everyone in the game gets an influence score like clout. Um, but it's a vertical influence score, so hopefully it's a little bit more meaningful than just your regular clout score. Um, you'll be able to see recommended artists based on what you like, and we know that because you told us what you like. You'll be able to see what's trending all, and that might be dominated by uh, you know, Adele and Lady Gaga and Justin Bieber. I might not be interested in that. I'm really only interested in um, indie rock artists, and this, would, this is what would surface at the time. Um, you'll also then be able to see trending tastemakers. So these are your friends. So these are people that have like-minded music taste. Um, you can't see the score, but that'll be your vertical score. Um, I can take a look at uh, you know, the portfolio of my co-founder, Sandro, and this is what he owns, and this is the prices that he paid. So he owns the Decemberists. I can learn about the Decemberists. Um, I can read the bio, and I can see what like the Decemberists uh, he likes. Um, just to go back, you can also see by recommended, so people that own the Fleet Foxes um, also own these bands. So this is a way to explore that uh, my friend Jared likes the Fleet Foxes and he likes Midlake and a whole bunch of other like artists, fulls and tapes and tapes, etc. cetera. Um, and then you can see uh, all. So this might be dominated by an artist. So if Trent Reznor is playing the game, he's going to have a whole bunch of people following him. Um, your uh, trending status is um, affected by how many people follow you, how well your portfolio is done, and how many people comment or like the stuff that you do. Um, just to continue through the app, um, this is my portfolio. As I said, um, you'll be able to see the prices that I paid. You'll be able to see where I was when I bought the Band of Bees, um, which, by the way, is, is a great band from the Isle of Wight. If you, if you haven't heard them, you should. I can tag my geo. You can make a comment. Um, this is where I own the band, and um, if you go back a little bit further into the app itself, even if you're not transacting on a daily basis, you can get real-time news. So most people don't have RSS feeds for every artist that they follow. We'll port in real-time news from every artist on the planet, so you'll be able to just pop open an iframe and see the news on all the bands that you're watching uh, or owning. 
Um, this is the transaction screen, so you can look up an artist straight from here. So we'll go, we'll go head in the heart. This is head in the heart. Uh, they're trending. This is who they are. They're a band from Seattle, if you haven't heard them. They're fantastic. The activity in the band looks like this, and you can make a decision whether or not you want to buy the band. And then lastly, all this stuff publishes to your feed. So when you buy 2,000 shares of Lana Del Rey eight months ago and you publish it to Facebook or Twitter, people will be able to go back and say, oh my god, that guy you know, has nailed every big band that's come out of the music world for a long time. Or you're just reading um, the music press very closely and you see that Radiohead just got, a, um, just got the, the headlining bill at, at Coachella or pavements getting back together. So it's really a game that allows you to quantify taste in lots of different ways. If you click on your feed, you can see that uh, you know, my buddy Bob Moss just bought a bunch of Built to Spill. Um, perhaps they have a new record coming out, cool. et cetera. And cool. I will stop now and take questions. What music meta information database are you connecting to? Uh, so we use data from a bunch of different sources. So we actually quantify the player. So players with more influence move the, what effectively will be the stock. And then we set the prices initially for the band using 28 different signals. So it's likes and follows and plays. We look at search queries. Uh, we look at uh, sentiment analysis. We look at sales and touring box to give you kind of a different uh, flow of the importance of an artist. Once that happens, it's a real-time marketplace. So the price is what someone's willing to pay for a band in the open market. So Mark, um, to, I'm wondering to what end, is this just a game or is it like Hollywood Stock Exchange meets Bowie Bonds where you can actually invest in the artist? Um, it's, it's mostly a game, but what we hope to do is surface real-time information about artists and actually create a closer bond between artists and fans. So if you're, uh, if you're a big artist with lots of likes on Facebook, they're completely undelineated, right? So you have five million likes, you don't know if they like you or if they used to like you or if they ever liked you. Here you'll be able to see your top thousand fans, you'll be able to see your biggest influencers. So um, at the end of the day, a super fan can get close to his band if a band knows their biggest fan is in Madison. It's pretty obvious what they do if they want to give away 500 tracks to their biggest influencer. They'll be able to do that if you're a band that sounds like Mumford & Sons. You want to influence people that like Head in the Heart and Dawes and those other bands, you'll know exactly who they are. So it surfaces something hopefully more practical than uh, the Hollywood Stock Exchange. And what's your plans for monetization? So it's a game, and one of the reasons it's a game is that monetization isn't 100% dependent on uh, a licensing uh, mechanism or an ad model. So we'll give you 25,000 notes to play the game, and then you'll be able to buy more notes on a going forward basis. Um, we'll also have um, sponsored, well, I, I was, used to be an ad guy in my former life, so um, they, there will be an ad model. It'll look more like sponsored notes, so brands subsidizing more notes for players. So buy five bands at Coachella, get uh, whatever. I guess I'm done. Yep. Great, thanks very much. All right, thanks. Good. I like the idea and you managed to put a whole lot of functionality inside the app, but I worry that it might be a little bit too bloated and complicated. You know, if, if there's anything that you think you could strip out uh, and just sort of streamline the experience to make it easier for people to get into so there's not so much decision paralysis about what I should be doing next or looking at next, I think you'd have a little bit tighter of an experience and more people would be wanting to spend a lot of time doing it, they'd get less exhausted and they'd share it with their friends more. Hey, I'm uh, Terry Gertz from uh, Monstro. And uh, not on the schedule, just so wanted to thank Brian for letting me get a little pitch in here real quick. Uh, Monstro, up on the board here, is launching today at SF Music Tech. We'd love for everyone to come and check it out, themonstro.com. And we're sponsoring the Bourbon Bar at the cocktail reception. So come on down, have a drink, and come say hi. And in the meantime, go to themonstro.com and claim your page. Thanks.
Great, so next we have Chris Swain with Cred FM. Hi, I'm Chris Swain. Uh, this is John Boyle. We're here to show you Cred FM. I'm the CEO. I'm also the founder of the Electronic Arts Game Innovation Lab at USC uh, and out in LA, where I've been a professor, but now I'm full-time on Cred FM. So I'm really passionate about music and game mechanics. I'm, I would consider myself a game mechanics nerd. So last year, we got together our smartest uh, game mechanics nerds from the university, and we tried to take on this challenge of uh, music discovery and curation. So we created CredFM as something that plays like a social game and monetizes like a social game, but delivers you awesome music discovery in the process. So let's check it out. Uh, the first thing I want to show you is how CredFM delivers you great music. So that each time you log in, this screen is showing us, it's, the game is suggesting some DJs for us. So notice that these are DJs, these are real players in the system um, whom I have bands in common with. I can follow them or go visit them. Um, and we put this like this because we know you find great music from people that have tastes like you. Um, so the, now the, thing, the game is telling me that I've got uh, 177 new songs in my feed here. So I'm going to go into my feed and check it out. Um, and notice that this is a, a socially curated playlist. So the music is playing here. Um, and the, uh, the, the recommendations have come in from other players in the system. And, and notice here that we stacked rank them um, by number of recs. So if something is really getting a lot of recommendations from my, the people that I'm following, it's going to bubble up to the top. So every time I log in, um, I get this, um, this socially curated list. And we build in compulsion loops into the system for the players so that they have an incentive to recommend stuff that I might actually listen to because it propels them through the game. So ultimately, the feed becomes your real-time um, what's hot list tailored specifically for you. Um, the next thing I want to show you is there's all kinds of places in here um, where we can find people like us, um, different lists. The one that I want to focus on is the most influential DJs. Um, because this is, a, this is a context bar up here um, relevant to this band, Pomplamoose. Um, so if I'm into Pomplamoose, and I might want to find some other people into Pomplamoose, I'll check this guy, um, Dwayne Dunfield, out. I can go visit his party. So now I've loaded up um, Dwayne's party. I can see what's happening. So imagine this party is filled with um, dancing avatars. The way it works is when Dwayne or any player sends out a recommendation, um, if someone else listens to it, their avatar comes and dances in their party. Um, uh, I can also go and look at Dwayne's lists, Dwayne's playlists, his mixes. Um, so we use this like a way of discovering music too, because I can also listen to any mix in the system um, like, a, uh, like a radio station itself. So um, if I click on a, on a specific song anywhere in the system, I have all kinds of things I can do with it. I can add it to a mix, so I can add it to any of my mix or create a new mix. I can heart it here and give Dwayne some cred, or I can also recommend it. So the second thing I want to show you about how cred works is um, that it lets you be a legitimate music influencer. It identifies the influencers for any band. So I just click the direct amend button. Notice I can send it out to my friends, which would be my friends on Facebook and that'll get them into the game, I'll get cred for that, but I can also send it out to my followers, so I have 211 followers. So there went the song, it went straight out, I notice I'm getting all this, um, this cred for it. The way with the, the cred that drops works is, um, 
Um, these are fun things that we can do. I'm just going to focus in on one of them here. So this is, uh, oh good, I'm a, I'm a, I leveled up in CeeLo Green. So I'm going to focus here on one of these. Um, this is the, the, the achievement wall for a specific band. So every band that I'm into, I have an achievement wall for. And these are sort of hard things to accomplish that would show that I'm a real fan. So if I do a lot of listening, liking, recommending, or other special stuff, if I introduce it to a lot of people, which I'm here, it shows the introduction chain. So um, we know who find the band, found the bands first because they're identified here. I'm going to get cred for that. And it's going to propel me up those, that most influential DJ list and give me um, uh, cred in the game. Um, the other thing we notice is, notice here, this is a, this is a, 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 a a reward that looks like a coin right here. So I just added 25 coins to my, to my um, uh, kitty there. Um, and the way we do with those is, um, the third thing I want to talk about is how you can, uh, if you play well in this game, you can customize your venue. So here's my venue, and I can customize it any way that I like. I can change my avatar, um, I can change the venue itself, and uh, notice that the things, there's things, most of these things are available for a certain amount of, um, coins, um, which is what I get from playing the game, um, which so is sort of incenting me to go play well. Um, but there's also things I can buy with this in-game currency called uh, chips. And those are connected to my credit card. So that's why I describe it as, a, as a, uh, a social game, because it works on the same model as the social games you might see on Facebook now. Um, if you're not familiar, um, the social games have generated about $2 billion a year right now, and it's a very quickly growing. So we're trying to combine what works from a music service with a social game um, and, and make it like that. And so our vision for this extensibility is that we have special rooms, we'll allow artists to build rooms, we'll allow artists to build avatars that look like them to come into the space and have this sort of broadly extensible space that people can have fun in. Um, finally, um, there's another aspect of the business here which is uh, e-commerce and, and um, uh, merchandise, um, uh, pro branded partnerships. So imagine in this context bar, contextual to any song, we have um, uh, things from the band. So merchandise, tickets, any news, anything that the band wants to show us can go there and that creates a win-win uh, a partnership opportunity for the band. So uh, that's Cred FM. John, do you have any comments? Well, we're in. We're gonna take a few Q and A's, but um, so I mean, what is, what is the audience for this? Because I see a lot of the use cases of this sort of already handled by Turntable FM, and my wondering, I just wonder, like, how deep of a music fan do people have to be to want to like level up in listening of CeeLo Green? Well, I think that there's there, we get compared to, we get compared to Turntable, but we're structurally couldn't be more different from Turntable. Right. So people who are into their bands and into playing games have an outlet here. So if you want to be known as the person who found this band, this is going to surface you as that. If you, want to, if you just enjoy music, it's a full, for, it's a full um, featured uh, music player with this additional uh, level of credit comes along with your passion for music. Well, one more point too is, is that we're going to be doing a bunch of artist partnerships. So this is going to be a way for artists to identify who their most passionate fans are. And certainly you can use some of, the, some of your, your cred to get a laminate for their next tour. And so there, there will be a lot of contests and a lot of rewards and incentives from the artists themselves and from the labels. Uh, yeah, for all of that to work, you need traction, and I'm not sure that, well, yes, it's full-featured, but I worry that it's so full-featured that it's going to alienate some users who are a little bit more casual listeners who say, I love this band, and I, do, I think I listen to them before everyone else, but I'm not sure I want to delve into like the 
quadruple so, menu so system? That's a good question. There's two answers to that. One is our job as game designers has to be to make something that they can have a guided experience. So if you don't want to have that deep experience, you should be able to come in here and have a good time. And that'll just work out through our you know, validated learning with this and building it. The other thing about this is, if you could construct a social game where you know the lifetime value of your player exceeds the cost to acquire that player, then you have the ability to go acquire players just by marketing. So a dollar out to marketing will come back to you as more than a dollar. So we have an ability to scale this um, through uh, advertising because of the uh, back-end revenue that it generates via the virtual goods. I mean, I love the monetization aspects, the idea that artists can sell merch and tickets and everything else through the app, but you know, at, at the very least, I think you would need to hide some of these menus and make them like revealable, because right now it's so busy. I, I, I feel like I would get exhausted playing this with, for just a few minutes. So, okay, point taken. Don't, don't you worry that uh, ga you know, games are things that people play, and that usually they end, or maybe they go on, but there are rewards. And, and you know, I get the reward thing. I worry that this, like, this just crosses the line to marketing. Like you, you're so into discovery, marketing, the bands, that people aren't gonna really see the game. All they're gonna see is, like you said, you started game logic, that is a good way to market bands. But not really like fun to play or, you know, there's no f defined group of players, there's no expedition that ends, et cetera. Well, it's our job to make a fun product. If someone would have told me that millions of people would play a, a little farm on their Facebook, I wouldn't have believed that either. So I hope that we can make something that people just have a great time with. It's not viewed as a marketing thing or anything else. It's just a fun experience for them. Okay, thank, thank you, you so much.